Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 120, and we are heading down south below the Mason-Dixon line here this week with Josh Thompson, the head boys basketball coach at Bishop McGinnis High School in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, But before we bring Coach Thompson on the pod, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you need to check out COSAC Chiro, you can go to their website, CosacChiro.com, or if you want to set up an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to have daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, you're listening to this uh, podcast, so be sure to download, rate, review, give us five stars so that we can get the word out to gain momentum in the ratings so we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. I always appreciate the emails and the questions. Check out a pen and a napkin.com, the new, new and improved website. Added some new stuff here today with some Mike Neighbors uh, notes that I've taken. Uh, added some new stuff this weekend. And the newest thing that we've had, the, the newest, newest thing that we've added, excuse me, is the Patreon page. If you're interested in supporting a pen and a napkin with a little bit of extra money to help us out and help us pay the bills a little bit, Go to patreon.com backslash a pen and a napkin and check out that page right there. All right, Coach, now that the bills are paid a little bit here, uh, Coach Thompson, you're, you're, you're defrosting a little bit from a little nine-year-old baseball practice. Uh, are, 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 we ready to, are we ready to get going? We're ready to roll. So Coach got on and we were, we were talking and he says, it's cold down here. And I said, oh, hold on, hold on. What, what qualifies as cold in North Carolina, being a, a native Midwesterner? And he, gave me, he gave me the degrees, and I gave him the nod. I gave, you, know, you didn't see the nod, of course, Coach, but I, I did give you the nod of, yeah, that's a little bit too cold for baseball weather this time of year. So I, I appreciate you gutting it out for us here tonight. Yeah, Coach, I'm glad you gave me the, the approval because my assistant coach is from Detroit, and he always makes fun of me for saying it's cold around this temperature. So thanks for the nod of approval. <laughs> well, I've gotten to the age where, um, you know, spring, summer, and fall are, are great, but the last two or three winters, I've just really been wondering, why am I still living in Nebraska uh, <laughs> when it gets this stinking cold? And it hasn't even been that bad, and it's nowhere near as cold as where I grew up, I I grew up almost in Minnesota, so it was two and a half hours north of here. So I feel like I'm losing my own toughness here, Coach. Yeah, I, I hear that. That's I always we always say we I chose the right sport. Indoor sport. <laughs> uh, well, hey, speaking of choosing the right sport, Coach, I uh, appreciate you coming on here tonight. Uh, for you know, we'll start this podcast the way we we start out a lot of our podcasts, uh, especially when we have uh, high school coaches on. Uh, just want to start with. Uh, with your background, tell us about your basketball journey and and how you came to be the the head boys basketball coach at Bishop McGinnis High School here for the last I don't know sixteen seventeen years or so. Yeah, uh, first I just want to say thanks for inviting me on. I'm humbled that you would ask after you know, especially looking through your list of some of the guests that you've had on this podcast. It's really it's really an honor to be here. Um, but uh, I've been at Bishop McGinnis since two thousand and two, and 
a couple of stints before that. I was an assistant coach at my former high school while I was in college. And then I was a manager for my college team at UNC Greensboro under uh, now Iowa coach Fran McCaffrey. Oh, hey, and, all right. The fighting Frans. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then I spent one year at Oak Ridge Military Academy as an assistant. And then uh, after that, it was Bishop McGinnis, and it's been Bishop ever since. So the first thing that jumps out at me, Coach, and, and we've, we've had a couple of interesting uh, things with this particular topic. Uh, the, the town I grew up in, uh, our high school's nickname was the ORABs, orange and black, O-R for orange, A for and, B for black, literally the colors. Uh, yeah. I've, I've had a coach on, uh, the, the nickname of his high school uh, is the Midgets, but when I saw that you guys are the villains, that one, I mean, that's the, I have never seen a high school nicknamed the villains. How did Bishop McGinnis get the nickname the villains? Yeah, that is the coolest mascot uh, in the nation, <laughs> in my opinion. I love it. Um, and I hope you've been able to see the logo also. But um, it's an interesting story. Our school used to be an all-girls school, and it was called Villa Maria Academy. And then I think it was in the 60s, we went co-ed, so we brought boys in. And um, when the name changed from Villa Maria to Bishop McGinnis, uh, the villains is just a, kind of a, a nod to the Villa Maria Academy oh. that we were when we were in all-girls school. Okay, so it, it's not like somebody was a big Superman fan and Lex Luthor and, and, or, a, or a Batman fan and the Riddler <laughs> and the Joker or something like that? No, we got we got a little more meaning than that. Okay, all right. Well, uh, it, it is an original. I have never heard of it before. Do you know of any other high school in the country that has that nickname? I don't. Uh, I, there's another Bishop McGinnis High School in Oklahoma, but they're not the villains. Um, so I've never I've never seen another. So if anybody does. Uh, does have that nickname, please reach out because I'd love to know. <laughs> well, uh, you know, hopefully they're listening and, and we can, or, or somebody has, has heard of it. I would think at this point, if, if somebody knows of a villain's high school or a nickname with that, they'd be able to chime in. So, uh, Coach, you've been in a private school uh, pretty much your entire career uh, in some way, shape, or form. Um, and, and I taught at a, at a private school for the, for the better part of my career. I'm now at a public school. And, and there are uh, definitely seeing it from both sides. I went to public school uh, for my education, um, taught at a public school, then taught a private school for a long time back in a public school. Uh, there's a lot of myths that come with teaching at, and co especially coaching, at a private school. Um, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, you know, at times can be kind of uh, unfair assumptions, I guess, about teaching at a, at a private school and, and just some of the stuff that, that coaches have to, to work around that maybe sometimes aren't the fairest thing in the world and that are assumptions by people from the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. Ours is such a unique situation and, and mine is a unique situation as well. I went to public high school. Um, I actually, I don't teach at the school I coach at. A lot of our coaches did not teach at the school. So mm -hmm. I teach at a public elementary school across town. Okay. And then, you know, after school, I drive over in the basketball. And when I first got the job at Bishop, we were a private school and we played in the private school league mm -hmm. in the private school Catholic, uh, 
athletic association with other private schools in the area. Um, three years later, we made the move from the private school association to play in the public league in North Carolina, a non-boarding parochial school can play in the public high school association. So that's where we are. We are a private school, but we play in the public league here in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we've experienced being private, playing private, and we've also experienced being private, playing public. And mm-hmm. we've been there since um, 2006, uh, 05, 06, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's neat. And yeah, there are a lot of stereotypes about uh, the private schools, um, yeah, I think one that immediately comes to my mind, everybody, a lot of folks kind of look at you and say, well, they do this, they do that. But the the one thing I think that sticks out to me is people may look at us and say, well, they're soft. They're soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, to the credit, some years we have been soft. But <laughs> our most our most successful teams, uh, you know, as you know, you, you don't get success if you're soft. Yep. Uh, you are not a successful basketball team unless you're tough. Uh, tough players win. We have that written on our coaching board that the guys see in all our timeouts. So I would say that would be the biggest one that, that I've seen over the years. And, and how do you, I, I don't want to say work through that, but, but how, do you, um, how, how do you get your players to kind of take those stereotypes and not listen to them while you're playing or you're, you're uh, you know, the crowd is, is, is on them and, and, you know, good Lord knows that there's some, some pretty nasty things that, are, that, are, that, that can spew from the crowd at times. How do you coach your kids through those situations? We try to say, you know, on the court and off the court, we try to control what we can control because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people saying a lot of things about me, about what we do, you know, being a private in the public league. You know, they do this and they do that. Well, you know, if we spend our energy listening to what those people say, then we're not we're not going to be productive. So we try to block out all the noise and just try to focus on being the best we can be within ourselves. You know, if we we can't start listening to what other people think or what their opinion is, we control what we can control. And that's our attitude and our effort. Mm -hmm. Now the toughness thing, I don't care if I was at um, a private school or the supposed roughest school in the nation, you know, we're, we're going to preach toughness to our players regardless you know, and that we don't preach toughness because of what other people may think. We preach toughness because we believe that's what wins. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, serious question. Will anything get done in the state of North Carolina this week at all? And especially <laughs> this Saturday? I don't know, man. I'm a basket case myself. Uh, I'm a Duke fan. So it's uh, it's going to be it's a it's an eerie feeling here. Uh, you know, even a lot, most of my friends are Carolina fans. Some of them are Duke fans, but it's just such a weird feeling. I think there's a lot of excitement about it, but, you know, both sides are kind of thinking the, the nightmare scenario. What if we lose that game? What if we lose- <laughs> well, I, it's a great problem to have, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the, the Carolina fans thought that they kind of had the final say in, in Coach K's uh, career, so to speak. And it turns out uh, a few weeks later that that turns out to not be true, that there is a, there's an epilogue, there's another chapter to be written. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think Duke is, I, I think both teams are playing really, really well 
right now. Um, both of them caught a little bit of a break with, you know, Duke having Gonzaga get beat and, uh, you know, North Carolina had a couple of teams ahead of, ahead of them get beat and they were able to kind of waltz through the, the Elite Eight game here against St. Peter's. But I think it's going to be a whale of a matchup. Yeah, I do too. I'm, uh, I'm excited for it. I just hope I can stomach <laughs> sitting there watching it. Um, well, I, I've got a co- I got a cousins in Charlotte, and my my cousin Jim, shout out cousin Jim. Uh, his his daughter works with the Pep Club at North Carolina. She's actually going to the game on Saturday night, and uh-huh. and I'm sure he's going to be fit to be tied this week as well. Yeah. Um, you uh you had the opportunity to work uh Coach Shashevsky's camp. Is that correct? Uh, yes, correct. How many times have you had a chance to work that? I think uh, it's been a while since I've done it. Uh, I think I did it for about five years straight mm-hmm. um, in the mid two thousands. So you got a chance to know Coach K a little bit through through those opportunities. Uh, you know, tell us tell us some things about Coach K that we don't see from kind of the the, the polished television aspects of things uh you know some things that some folks maybe are not as aware of about him or about his personality uh that that might not that we might not see through the cbs or espn lens uh that the nation sees him at yeah well i wish i could say that i know him uh what i can say is that i've met him and had the opportunity to observe what he did at those camps and i think the one thing that stood out to me from that experience, being able to kind of observe, you know, shake his hand here and there, we meet, whatnot. But what I observed from that is, is how present he was at that camp. I've worked several of the of college camps around, and I could say every day, Coach K was at that camp. He would speak to the campers in the morning. He would speak to the campers in the afternoon. And he would sit there every night and sign autographs and take pictures with every parent and every camper that came through there that wanted one, mm-hmm. you know. And I just, I thought that that made an impact on me. You know, I think a lot of coaches have their name on their camp, but they don't – they're not present. They may show up one time or whatnot, but they're not accessible to the kids that are there. Um, but Coach K, he was, he was just always there. He was always present, interacting with – the campers, the parents, and the coaches that work there. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that's just you know that, that just says a lot about the human being that he is. Like you said, I've <clears throat> I've I've worked a couple of those camps where uh, folks have been like that, uh, and I've worked others that you know the coaches are not like that. Uh, that <clears throat> that they are very involved. They're very present, as you said, and and it it makes for a better experience for the campers. It makes a better experience for the staff that works the camp because you you feel valued. That that if you're going to bust your butt, that that the the namesake of the camp is is also putting in good time and good effort to make sure that it's a good camp as well. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. And you talk about pressure. <laughs> you're you're doing a, a box out stations with eight year olds, and you look over and Coach K's in the gym. So as a as a 22 year old almost rookie coach, that's a, <laughs> I remember that feeling. <laughs> and, and and your formal evaluation was. Well, I got invited back the next year, so I guess it was okay. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. We all right. Yeah. Uh, very good. Very good. 
A Pedro-Napkin University is offering you, our listeners, a great opportunity to learn more about coaching above and beyond the Napkin universe. In our video series detailing personal growth and development, you can purchase videos on topics like interviewing for a job, basketball analytics, and fundraising in social media. Go to apenandanapkin.com and follow the links to order. Videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the bundle for $50. That's less than $8 a video. We also have our defensive series available. Those videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the three-video bundle for $25. Check out the Appendant and Napkin University video library. Coach, you mentioned, uh, you know, you're you're you were you're a private school. You're a Catholic school. Uh, you have a private school uh, association in North Carolina, and then you crossed over into. Uh, the, the the public school, the state association, the public state association. And that's a big reason for my research. Uh, that's a big reason how you got the job. Is that correct? Um, to a degree. Not so much. Um, it just kind of happened that way. Uh-huh. Just, you know, that was already in the works before, before I got there. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's been such a great move for, for our school uh, in the community and, uh, athletically, and uh, we're uh, we're in just such a good spot. Mm-hmm. Well, and the coach before you, you had worked for him as a JV coach for a couple of years. He stepped away. It, it looked like there was some some hard feelings going back and forth. If you could kind of go back to that time, you know, a lot of times we think that when we take over for a job or we take over a position, um, the, the transition is always really smooth or I'm just going to come in and everything is just going to be, we're just going to start over from square one. Uh, you came in in a situation, it sounded like to me, or as I read it, uh, that things were a little bit choppy there as you stepped into the position. Uh, you know, what did you do to kind of still the waters a little bit as you stepped in? What were your priorities uh, as you slid over from that assistant coach's position to the head coaching position? Yeah, gosh, that was uh, our my transition was anything but smooth. And it was, I think, after our football coaches told me that, you know, after going through that, there's nothing, there's probably not a, a tougher transition that I was going to ever um, go through in my coaching career after having gone through that. As the varsity coach and I at the time, we were friends and we were close. And, um, you know, he was, uh, it didn't step away, you know, voluntarily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then I got offered the job. So I was kind of in a, in a very hard situation, you know, dude, it was, a, it was a tough spot, but ultimately, uh, I ended up accepting the job and, you know, personally it was a hard time because I lost some friends in that transition, but, um, you know, kind of to, to, I think, I don't think you get jobs, knowing that it's going to be a good job or you're going to have talent because normally guys don't leave jobs that are going to have a good team. But we had a really talented group uh, that year, my first year as varsity coach, although they were very close to the previous coach and there was a lot of tension and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. It was not a good year. It was my toughest year as a coach. Um, But after, after we got past that year um, and even during that year, uh, the, to answer your question, how I made the transition, I just tried to be genuine and do the best that I could do uh, with the situation, the hand that we had been dealt. And uh, we just kind of tried, like I said, be genuine, do the best we can do and move forward when we were past it. How did you uh, prevent some of that adulting stuff 
trickling down into your team or try to prevent it as much as possible from trickling down into your team and affecting the uh, the framework of of your players and, and what you're trying to accomplish there and in, in building a culture and building chemistry and that type of thing? Yeah, well, if I'm being honest, I don't think that, that we were successful in doing that, not mm-hmm. letting it, it filter down because I think we had the guys that were on that team, a lot of them had came to the school to play for the, that that coach you know mm-hmm. i got the job two weeks before the season started oh goodness you know i went in thinking i was going to be the jv coach and then <laughs> two weeks before the season started I, I was the varsity coach and that was kind of uh unplanned for the players that were there that had you know kind of been there planning on playing for him um and then they were playing for me so um you know we just like i said try to be genuine and do the best we can and after that season I think we kind of started over I think um, Mm -hmm. between graduation and players leaving I think 11 players left the school oh goodness uh, we kind of started from scratch the next year but uh, the interesting thing about that is the guys that we started from scratch with that year that freshman class when they were seniors four years later they went 31 and 2 and won a state championship Mm -hmm. And uh, that's uh, that's really special to me. Yeah. What were some of the big lessons? You, you know, sometimes going through those really hard times and those hard seasons really, really sucks. Uh, but it makes you better in the long run. What were some things that you learned from going through that that tough first go? Because I, I had a couple of years like that, and I know I, I know there were things that I learned from it as well. So, uh, what what were some things that you might have learned from it? I think the biggest thing that I learned and took away from it is going into that season and even during that season, I was really worried about what people thought, you know, what, what is the message board saying or what is, um, you know, what's this person saying? What do they think about this? And with all the talk and all the things that went on that year, uh, it just kind of galvanized me against all that stuff. And I think God had a plan for me, um, having to go through that hard time, like Mm -hmm. I said, it just galvanized me and made me a little stronger and just allowed me to just focus on trying to have a positive impact on my guys' lives for the Lord and and also just keeping focused on what my job was. And that's Mm -hmm. to coach my team, not listen to what pundits or or this person saying or that person saying or any of that. It's just my job is to coach the team. And if I could lay my head down at night knowing I gave them everything I had, then that's good enough for me. And that was hard for me as a young coach, but I think that year really gave me some resolve in that matter. Oh, and and you hit the nail on the head, uh, Coach. You know, you, uh, I, I think every coach has to kind of go through one of those years to really, and I love the word that you use there, kind of galvanize yourself. Kind of, You know, you kind of have to learn how to harden yourself a little bit, and uh, it's not a pleasant lesson to learn, but... Uh, at, at some point, if you stay in this uh, career track long enough, you, you're going to have those situations, and it hurts, and it, it bothers you. Uh, but like you said, I, I always say, if I can look at myself in the mirror, you know, if I can, if I can pass the man in the mirror test, then then I usually ple- uh, sleep pretty soundly at night after after a, a, a tough situation because I felt like I did things the right way, the best way. I know I'm not going to make everybody happy, but you know. I've I've done 
the best that I can do and I've made the best decisions that I possibly can. And it's, you know, you can, you can go to coaches clinics, you can listen to podcasts like this one, but until you go through it, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you don't really learn how to handle it until you actually learn how to handle it. Yeah. Amen. For sure. Yep. So it turns out though, there's a rainbow at the end of this. And like you said, a, a few years later, uh, you're, you're making a run at a state championship. You end up winning a state championship, uh, on the opposite end of this spectrum. Five years later, uh, you get this, this, this great journey, uh, winning a state championship. And, you know, you learned a lot through this, this tough first year. Uh, what were, uh, some of the lessons that you learned guiding a team through your first deep, postseason run what were some some things that you look back on and go yeah I think we really did that really well at that point or this or that or whatever it may be that helped put your team in the best situation possible that you kind of uh still do to this day when you get down into that February and March time of year Mm -hmm. I've been really fortunate to be at a school um especially during that time our girls program was in the stretch of winning nine straight state titles and um we've got a tremendous girls coach at at our school and um to be able to kind of sit and watch his practices and seeing him make those deep runs in the playoffs when we weren't yet our program wasn't at that point um i learned a lot from from being there being around them and talking to him so i got to give coach robinson a shout out there um you know helping me as a young coach um kind of navigate some of that stuff. But I think the lessons that we learned, I would attribute to one of the big things is our past and our present assistant coaches and putting scouting reports together on the teams that we're going to be facing in the playoffs. In uh, in North Carolina, you play the first three rounds is you play back in our first run, you played Monday night, you were off Tuesday, you played Wednesday, you were off Thursday, you played Friday. Jeez. So three games in a week against unfamiliar opponents, you don't have very much turnaround time to get ready. Um, so we had excellent assistant coaches at, at that time and and presently. So I think the preparation that our staff has been able to put in and try to get that to our players in a short time and then uh, to be able to um, – walk through those things on the court and kind of prepare for what they're going to see in the next game. I would say our preparation and scouting reports is, is one big thing I learned in that first run that we carry over to today. And and how did you guys organize that? Well, um, we try to get film on both teams that we would be playing. Mm-hmm. And we would, back then in 2009, it was me and one other coach on our staff. So he would take one, I would take one, and we'd have a report ready for both. Um, and we would just email the information to our guys the night before. We'd go over it with them before practice. We'd walk through the things in practice, and then we'd cover it again maybe after practice or the next day uh, right before the game during walkthrough. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how far – because I'm always kind of curious because sometimes you can get a little paralysis by analysis, and I understand that this is pre-huddle uh, and, yeah. you know uh, – the technology that we have today. So, so how many films were you guys looking at to prepare yourself for those games, you know, where you felt like you were really prepared, but it wasn't too much preparation. 
Gosh, you said it right, and I don't know if it's better now or if it was better back then. But, you know, back then I remember being on the phone a lot more and talking to several different coaches that had played these teams. And then I remember for one of our games this year in the playoffs, 2022, whatever, 15, 16 years later, it's uh, I had so many films I was I was almost sick of watching. And I remember saying to my staff this year, you know, we, we can't watch anymore. Like, we, we know. It's just – the hay is in the barn. You yeah. know, we can't can't do anymore. Can't watch anymore. We're not going to learn anything else. Yep. And, and at some point, you just got to turn it over to the fellows and say, "Hey, okay, here here's what you need. Let it rip, guys. Let it roll." Yeah. So yeah. Um, Coach, one of the things that you you literally uh, had national stories done uh, about you, and and I posted it on Twitter earlier today. Uh, one of the stories done uh, was something called the dedication game, and and through uh, tragedy, uh, there was a sliver of of uh, you know success, uh, a sliver of hope uh, that came out of of a really really tough story, um, and I, I was just personally really really touched by this, you know, being a longtime educator and 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 you know being a you know somebody that. Uh, my job is to try and do the best I can to take care of my students. Um, you know, it, it's it's just a a tremendous tremendous story. Uh, you know, with uh, with Spencer Wilson and and his friend. Uh, could you just kind of touch on that? And 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 more than anything else, where did the concept of the dedication game and the dedication ball come from? And and how does that work? And and I I'm assuming that's something that you guys still do each year. So uh, just kind of go ahead and kind of expand on what I put on Twitter earlier today about the, the dedication game from a few years ago. Yeah, the dedication game is uh, it's so it's it fits perfectly with with what we're doing here tonight. I got that idea from a blog, a blog post, and I think it was Coach Bob Starkey. Oh, okay. um, yeah. I can't remember what school he was at then, but uh, I was just reading on his website on a blog post, and it was either his idea or he got it from somebody just talking about every year they had their players do play a dedication game. And be- during the week of practice, they had their players write a letter to the person they were going to dedicate the game to that night. And that person could be still alive or they could have already been passed on. And um after they wrote the letter, they were to give that letter to the person they were dedicating the game to, or if they had passed away, they were to give the letter to the player's family. And it was just a way to get the players to start thinking about something bigger than themselves. And obviously the selfish part of it was to provide some more motivation for us to try to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it had such a wow, such a bigger impact than what I initially thought it would. And the funny thing is, we have never done it since that night. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, okay. we've, I've considered it. It's just, you know, it, and I think we're probably far enough away from it now that uh, that it would be okay to do it again, and probably a good idea to do it again. But just uh, and the the years right after that, you know, I don't I don't know. I just didn't feel good about doing it again after uh, after <laughs> that one went. Uh-huh. Um, that would be hard to top, but um, yeah. If our listeners have not seen the uh, the story of Spencer Wilson and the dedication game, and just the story of Spencer's faith, and uh, you know what the Lord has done in his life, uh, he actually made another documentary about um, 
Spencer's story is amazing. After he he made that shot, he went on to play college basketball, but had to stop playing college basketball because of some complications in his leg due to his cancer that he had beat earlier. But he turned that into running a marathon. So he now has a hour long documentary on YouTube of uh, of his his training for the marathon and his story, and he kind of goes back to the dedication game story as well. Um, and that's called From Death to Life. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody on YouTube, Google or uh, YouTube Spencer Wilson, From Death to Life, or I think the uh, dedication E60 game is on uh, Vimeo now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just would, uh, and maybe we can put that in a link somewhere for people to see, but it's just a great story of, uh, of faith. And, you know, if you love basketball, inspirational stories, it'll be right up your alley. Yeah, and you need to have a couple Kleenexes next to you as well, because it, it, yeah. it's going to get to you. It's going to get to you. So I'm glad we had a work day today while I was, uh, we didn't have any students. And so I, I watched the E61 and, uh, you know, I'm somebody opened, a, somebody left an onion underneath my desk, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, not a very big one, but just big enough. So yeah. uh, it, it's a great story, folks. Look it up and, and coach your leadership and, and, and helping that young man through uh, a lot of painful uh, times and difficult situations. Uh, I, I, you know, that's what that's what leadership is all about. And, uh, you know, I was excited to have you on. But when when I started learning about this, um, that was even that made it even better. So uh, just just a tremendous job by you in in leading your program through and and leading and and helping this young man and, and his family through such a such tough circumstances in their life. So yeah, and the the truth of it is, he Spencer and uh, and his family have made such probably a bigger impact on me than than I made on them. Uh, so I've been. I've been fortunate to to know the Wilsons. Coaches, mark your calendars for Saturday, April the 9th for the second annual Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic at Fort Calhoun High School in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, just 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha. We have a great day lined up for you and your coaching staff, from large group speakers to classroom sessions to discussion tables. The Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic promises to make you a better coach. Clinic rates are $40 for one coach, $75 for two coaches from the same staff, $100 for three coaches, and $30 apiece for a coaching staff of four or more. For more details, check out Add a Pen and a Napkin on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Thompson, we're going to jump into our John Wooden quote of the day. If I can find the right piece of paper, there it is. Uh, the John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, about this time in our podcast, we switch over to a quote and we kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, so are you ready, sir, for the John Wooden quote of the day? Yes, sir. All right. John Wooden quote of the day, and this is from page 30 of Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations. There's nothing wrong with having faults so long as you work conscientiously to correct them. How hard you work at correcting your faults reveals your character. And I think that's something that's important for all of us as coaches that, you know, no matter our accomplishments, no matter what we do, we always have something that we can work on and make ourselves better. And as long as we're trying to make ourselves better, that's the that's the great victory in what we're trying to do. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the uh, that's the thing about being a teacher or a coach that uh, I think that's where you have to always be a a lifelong learner, always in a growth mindset and uh, just always looking for ways to get better, better, because, you know, you it seems like the game evolves and you learn something new 
every year as as you go through it. And I never want to be a person that that stays where I'm at. And I think there's so much to to learn about the game. And uh, I, I just I hope I can always be learning something new. Mm-hmm. Well. That's what we're here for. That's what a pen and a napkin is for. That's why you're on the podcast. And and let's start taking a deep dive, Coach, on, on your coaching philosophies, some of the things that you do within your program. Uh, you know, we're, we're heading into what we call improvement season uh, to get ready and, and try to have our players and our teams get better. And I really wanted to talk to you about some player development, some things that you guys do within your program, uh, some skill work uh, that uh, – you emphasize with either your high school team or your AAU programs or both. And so I just wanted to dive in with, with, with that area uh, with you. So I kind of texted you about this earlier today, kind of gave you a little opportunity to prep a little bit for it here. Uh, hopefully it was enough time for you to prep for it. Um, so, uh, you know, Coach, at this time, I'm just going to kind of let you talk about your player development program, what you do with your teams uh, and your individual players and, and what your plans are and, and maybe some of the drill work that you go through. Uh, if I if I feel like I need to ask a question or clarify something or want to expand on something, I'll try to jump in. But I'm just going to kind of let you roll here, Coach. Yeah, sure. I'll kind of start where we are now, right after the, the season ended and then go through the summer and the and the fall of what we do and um like you said we've got our own um aau club basketball organization here and most of our players play in that so in the spring really our player development is those guys play in club basketball and we're fortunate to have a great network of coaches coaching in that organization to where I feel really good about our guys practicing twice a week with the coaches that are, are coaching them and in practices and in the games throughout the, throughout the spring. So our, our player development is really in our club basketball, our AAU program. About, and, uh, about how many, what percentage of your players are playing AAU stuff in your off season? We're fortunate that it's probably 80 85 percent of our guys are playing okay. um basketball is really it's big here in north carolina and it's it's big at our school and in our community and um a lot of the guys have been in the program for several years so mm-hmm. we're fortunate to have uh families that that value basketball and want to play it a lot okay. so um, a lot of the guys are in that and you know even outside of that we send them a list um, we do some player exit interviews the week after the season's over, and then we kind of type up what we talked about, and we we as coaches fill in a few blanks of what we'd like to see our guys improve upon. So even with the playing AAU, we've given our guys specific things um, written down that areas that we want to see improvement from them. So um, all that's to be said, in the spring, they kind of play AAU, and hopefully they're working individually on the things that we've talked about uh, in the postseason and the goals for them moving into next year. Mm -hmm. And then in June, we don't do anything with AAU. We reserve June for school. So in school, um, when school is out, we're allowed to start full practices with our teams. So we'll practice about 15 to 20 days in the month of June, and we'll play, I'd say, 15 to 20 games throughout the month of June with team camp and scrimmages and things like that. Then in July, we're done. We let them go. They do AAU or whatever. 
And in the past, in August, our state association has had a rule where we can't touch our players at all. You know, it's um, it's mm-hmm. a dead period. So there's still a few weeks like that. But with us being at a small school, a lot of our guys play fall sports, football or soccer. So with the ones that don't in these in the fall from September through October, we'll lift twice a week and then we'll open gym twice a week, open gym or skill development twice a week. And that'll continue from September through October. And then in November 1, uh, we hit the ground running with practice. Mm-hmm. What are, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's simple. It's, it's shooting, passing, ball handling. Uh, but what are the, you know, if, if you had to put, uh, you know, the one or two things that your program really takes pride in developing uh, with your kids' individual skill set, uh, what is it, or what are they, um, and and what are some of the uh, some of the drill work or some of the things that you guys do to to develop said skill or skills that that you think is important for all of your players to have? Yeah, like you said, it's a dribble, pass, and shoot. Uh, you know, and the more drills we can find or design that that get those things. <clears throat> all drilled in in one comprehensive drill, the better. But I think the one drill that I would suggest for all coaches and something that we do nearly every day of practice, and I want our guys doing every day in the offseason, it's it's called USA Basketball Box Drills. And it came from, I think, Tate Slock um, showed it at his camps. Um, Don Showalter at the Snow Valley camps, they've been shown. But if if coaches will will YouTube search uh, USA Basketball Box Drills, it's uh it's just it's six different pivots there's three front pivots three reverse pivots and then there's you know a jab step jump shot there's a drive there's a finish layup uh but there's there's six moves within the box drills that you do from each side of the elbow and um i found that drill to be the most game efficient drill that we do within our program and i'll, I'll do it till till the day i retire mm-hmm. is that something uh is that like Really early in your practices, you like to drop that one in? Yes. We usually uh, start practice with it, or maybe we'll do something full court before that just to get the guys' heart rates up, and then we'll drop in the box drills. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other of your kind of uh, at the top of what I call desert island drills when it comes to player development uh, that, that you guys run? And, and, you know, if you could, I know, you know, our, our medium isn't the best for showing it. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's two or three of your other player development desert island drills that you guys run that, that you feel does a good job of developing the individual skills for your players? Yeah, I don't think we really do anything that special, you know, outside of or, or unique or outside of what kind of everybody does. Uh, what You know, I, I think one drill that we do that I really like that we can get some conditioning in, but I heard Hubie Brown speak at a clinic and he showed this drill. Um, we call it 5X. I don't quite remember what Hubie, what Hubie called it, but he was just talking about doing conditioning with your team. If you throw a ball in there, it's so much easier for them to go hard and not know that they're conditioning uh, when they're doing it with a ball in their hands. So uh, it's kind of like a five-man weave drill. Um, but another drill that I love doing, it's not even necessarily a drill. It's just we call it cutthroat, and it's just continuous three-on-three-on-three. On three on three. 
you know, or you can mm-hmm. add another three in, depending on how big your team is. And it just kind of really gets the guys' juices flowing, gets their competitive nature going. But within that, you can work on different actions that you want to work on. Like a lot of times that we do it, we'll say, okay, before you score, you've got to set a ball screen. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, to start the drill, we're going to pin down over here on this side. Um, so that's nothing groundbreaking. But at the same time, I don't, I don't think you have to be really groundbreaking, just be good at the things that you do a lot. And that's, we try to design our stuff to try to be good at the things that happen a lot. Uh, Cutthroat, another Snow Valley uh, staple. Um, I I worked Snow Valley for the first time last summer and we'll be going back again this summer. Excited to go back out. But I know there was, uh, we played a lot of cutthroat uh, and, and the kids really enjoyed that as well. And I think anything like that, you know, you get into those three on three, four on fours. And like you said, we, we have a, we call it three on three, one more. Sometimes we do four on four, one more, but you know, you have your emphasis for the day. Okay. Everything today is ball screens because we want to work on our ball screen offense or defense or, uh, you know, no ball screens. If you set a ball screen, it's a turnover today. Uh, things like that, and just teaching the intricacies of the game and movement without the ball makes the game so much easier uh, for your players with those hundreds, if not thousands, of reps by the end of the season. Uh, because now they're just playing, and they're a heck of a lot harder to guard than if you're going station to station type of stuff. Is that kind of your line of thought as well, uh, Josh? Right, and that's kind of been a little of an evolution as a as a coach for me, getting more away from set plays and trying to go to more concepts, and that's that's kind of where I want to go forward going into next year. We're we're going to have some set plays that we do, and some uh, some staples that we always run, uh, but I think that at the end of the year that it's not about running plays i think it's about making plays when it really matters down the stretch um in in the playoffs everybody's gonna know your sets but we want guys to play with their instincts Mm -hmm. hold on a second i gotta write that one down it's not about running plays it's about making plays i love that one i i've stolen that one is that all right yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. I probably stole it from somebody else. Hey, hey, we're all we're all we're either innovators or replicators, and most of us are replicators. <laughs> so uh, that's what we do. But I love that one. It's not about running plays; it's about making plays. I love that one. That one. That one is going up on the board here in Nebraska. So uh, from from the land of Dixie, you have shared to the Midwest here, Coach. <laughs> I appreciate it. So good. Um, Let's talk about your assistant coaches and and what you have your assistants do, your delegation to your assistants. Uh, what are some of the things that you do uh, to keep your assistants involved in your program? Mm-hmm. I think to have good assistants, I, I think they've got to have ownership of the program. And I have no reservations in giving our staff ownership of the program i think that's a big thing it's never been tough for me to let go and to give them big parts of our uh, of the program or big responsibilities i know I, i hear guys say that sometimes and i get it i definitely understand that but i think when you are willing to let go of some of the control that you may have individually it allows your assistants number one to get better and to become better coaches themselves and uh, um, it also gives them ownership of the program, you know, and that's at the end of the day, that's what I want. I want everybody in our program to have Bishop in their hearts and just 
it's more than just about basketball. Like, I, this is this is us. This is our family. I want it to matter to everybody that's wearing that logo. Um, so we kind of try to divide ours up. And I think some colleges run their staffs like this. You know, we always say we want to run our program like a college program. So mm-hmm. what we've done over the past few years is our assistant coach, one of our assistant coaches runs our defense. He's in charge of our defense, teaching it, calling it during the games. And um, one of our other assistant coaches, his main role is kind of to be the lead lead scout guy. You know, get the film, break it down, um, give us a scout on the next opponent. And not to say that it's all exclusive because we all mm-hmm. do a little bit of everything. But overall, that is kind of the breakdown of our staff. And also one of our other assistant coaches, who this year was also our JV coach, was kind of a, a leadership and team camaraderie coach for us. Uh, oh, okay. We do... Uh, a program in our basketball program called Lead 'Em Up, and um, if you're not familiar or anybody, any coach not familiar with the Lead 'Em Up program, I would um, really encourage you to check that program out. It's made a major impact on on our team camaraderie and just uh, player development, uh, kind of off the court, you would say, and just teaching the teaching the guys life skills, but also skills that they can use. Um, on the basketball court mm-hmm. uh, that's lead them up mm-hmm. how'd you find that program uh now that you ask i don't really know i think i was listening to the it was called the hardwood hustle podcast with okay. adam bradley and alan stein several years ago and uh adam i kind of just connected with him and started following him and the lead them up program is adam's program and uh, i think we've been with them and using their curriculum for about five years now Mm-hmm. With your assistance, with you, when you're talking about the uh, the defensive coordinator and the scouting coordinator and that type of thing, uh, and, and I love those type of concepts, especially if you feel like you have coaches that you feel like can can handle those responsibilities and do them well. But but as you're handing that off to them, is it uh, you sit down, you have some some good conversations, and here's kind of my vision, here's kind of my framework, uh, here's what I want to see. Uh, and kind of take it from there or is it hey you know here's here's key point one two or three now it's up to you to get us to where we need to go how do you how do you handle a a signing or or turning over those those responsibilities to your coaches and and yet having you feel comfortable with uh their roles and and what they're teaching or, or what they're trying to do with with those responsibilities yeah well defensively that didn't happen overnight you know, so he didn't, our coach that's in charge of our defense didn't just come in and on year one be in charge of our defense. And he spent a couple of years with us getting to know me, getting to know our program and kind of what we expected and our philosophy and what we wanted to do defensively. And it was kind of a gradual thing to where, okay, why don't you do the zones this year? And then, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe do this part next year. And then eventually he got to the point where he kind of, tackles the whole the whole defensive package Mm -hmm. and our scouting our guy our coach that does a lot of the scouting he was actually a team captain on our 2009 state championship team so he's been with us for about seven years now so that's been cool to have a former player on staff and you talk about having bishop in your heart you know (laughs) in your school in your heart he's you know he's got that so it already matters to him and um he's lived through like i talked about our scouting reports that we 
learned a lot from back when he was a player. We're still doing them to this day, and we're still doing them the same way to this day with some minor tweaks and improvements to them, hopefully. Um, so, uh, you know, he's lived it. Mm-hmm. He, he's had that scout report he had to read as a player, and now he's creating that scout report. So uh, that's been pretty, pretty cool. Uh, was that, uh, you know, I've I've been lucky. I've had a couple of former players um, be my assistants. Was, was that a interesting transition for you? It was at first. I remember when uh, when we made the hire, and we uh, he and my uh, other assistant coach and, and went out to dinner, and I was just thinking, is this going to be is this going to be weird? Um, <laughs> but you know, and it was different at first. But yeah, after the first few months or so, you know, it's uh, and now here we are, seven eight years later. You know, he's he's one of my best friends, uh-huh. and uh, you know, so that that's been a really really neat journey to to go on with him. That's 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 a great story. I love that. Um, let's talk about your game day procedures. Um, you know some unique things that you guys do. Uh, you know, let's okay. So you're playing on Friday night. Uh, so uh, you're done with practice on Thursday, and everybody's mm-hmm. left the gym. What's kind of the uh, the Bishop McGinnis um, program on a typical Friday night where you're getting ready to go, and 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 how do things start? Friday morning and and what's your guys' uh rhythm to the day what do you what do you like to do to help get both your your staff and your players ready to go for tip off yeah well hopefully we have school on Friday because I feel like we always play worse when we're out of our routine <laughs> so uh, hopefully we've got school and if we have a, a home game this has kind of changed over the years since I've had kids and I have responsibility with them um after school until my wife gets off work. Um, we used to go to team meal as a team after school, and then we'd wait around. We'd watch the JV boys, the varsity girls, and then then we would play our game. But now we kind of let the guys go after school, let them go home, take a nap, you know, eat on your own, whatnot. And then we have, have them come back to watch you know, the second half of the JV boys game and um, watch the girls games. And then, we go back at about halftime of the girls' game and get ready. And with about four minutes to go in the girls' game, our coaches will come in and we'll pray and we'll go through scouting report, game plan once again uh, that we've covered the night before in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were going to an away game on Friday again, hopefully we have school that day. <laughs> um, but we would have the guys that go eat after school in town. We got a lot of restaurants around. They can go eat, and then we'll come back to school. And if the gym is empty, no wrestling or anything in there, we'll uh, do a little shoot around, maybe a scout or walk through. And we just kind of try to keep it loose. We don't do a whole lot of formal stuff on those days other than, than go through scouting report. And then we get on the bus and go. Mm-hmm. Are you a uh, Are you a big detail, write a lot of stuff on the board guy before the game or do you keep it pretty simple on the board my personality is yes i want to write down and tell them every bit of information i have but i've kind of learned over the years and especially as these years have progressed and i've observed players i think um i try to give them before games i try to give them less um two or three keys to the game and i want to give that to them multiple times so i want to kind of give them the same bits of smaller information more times versus giving them a lot of information if that makes sense Mm -hmm. no no that's kind of my evolution as well uh josh it's it's uh 
uh, I used to be, God, we, we would have kind of the uh, Rick Majerus or Porter Mosier, every single set written up there. And, and, you know, I mean, you would need to have not even what's what's greater than 2020 vision to read all this stuff that we had put up there. And, and now I've kind of gotten to the point where um, I give myself about a minute and a half to two minutes uh, to, to write some things on the board. Um, I, we, we have a, oh, a, a song that my kids, we call it our focus song, and I let them pick it out um, each year, uh, whatever that they want to pick. Um, now, if they pick some REO Speedwagon or some Bon Jovi or something like that, I'm really partial to it, but I don't pick it for them. But, uh, but I kind of, you know, if, if, if I can't write it down in that couple of minutes that they're listening to that song and, and getting their focus, uh, then it's probably too much information at that point. Um, and, and so we try to keep it pretty simple with here's our matchups, here's our keys, here's what we went over in our scout. Um, here's the things that we want to accomplish and let's focus on us. Let's control the things we can control and, and let's let it rip from there. And, and that's been kind of my evolution as well. And so I'm, I'm always kind of curious when I talk to other coaches, what they, what they're putting up on their boards before, before games as well. Yeah, I think we're pretty similar. I like that idea of a focus song. Um, you know, what I put on the board every game is our three, maybe four keys to the game. <clears throat> and then we play, put what defense we're playing, what defense we're starting in, um, our starters and who their matchups are. And then just a reminder of, you know, okay, so this number 12 is a shooter. We're, uh, number 32, big man, make sure you front him. And then at the end, just a little, maybe a motivational word or, or something I want to remind them of, just a little, you know, a little motivational thing there at the end. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hopefully somewhat great minds think alike. Yeah, I hope so. The <laughs> key word is somewhat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, last thing here. Let's talk about some, let's talk about some out-of-bounds plays, uh, some baseline out-of-bounds plays, some sideline out-of-bounds plays. Uh, you know, what's kind of your philosophy when it comes to, uh, not only implementing, um, your, your special teams type of situations, but also how you defend, uh, baseline and sideline out of bounds plays, what's your philosophy at there? And, and let's just, let's just kind of wrap up on this topic. Yeah. Well, starting with defending, I'm in a, on the special teams, I'm on a, uh, protect, um, kind of my philosophy yeah if it's baseline out of bounds whoever's guarding the man out of bounds we don't have him facing the ball we have his head under the basket um kind of playing center field a little bit um if any teammate gets caught up on the screen his job is to prevent anybody from getting a layup so he's kind of seeing both his man taking the ball out and the rest of the floor his job is to prevent the other team from getting a layup I know a lot of teams get up on the ball and try to put pressure on the ball. And, you know, you talked about uh, UNC earlier. I know they always put their big guy up on the ball, or Duke even sometimes too. But, you know, we don't have the 6'10", 6'11", guy to put on the ball that's going to provide a lot of resistance there. So we kind of back off the ball a little bit and try to prevent giving up a layup. You know, I don't care if you throw it over the top and we – have to depend one of your half court sets, but I, I hate getting beat on baseline out of bounds plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same thing side uh, out. If your guy is taking the ball side out of bounds, I want you you're with your feet on the three point line, not up guarding the ball. I want you back. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any special situations that you 
maybe would change that philosophy a little bit with. Maybe go to a zone or, uh, you know, just, yeah, I mean, you know, is there is there any type of situations where you've changed that up at all? Yeah, for sure. We go zone sometimes on out of bounds. Uh, we kind of mix it up, but I would say for the most part, we play man. But one interesting thing I heard at a clinic one time, and we tried it one summer. Uh, I just am not brave enough to do it during the regular season. <laughs> Come on, coach. Come on. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> It's to go triangle and two on on the best two players on all baseline out of bounds because it would kind of keep the uh, the offense guessing like what you know what's happening here what do we what do we need to do what do we run our zone stuff or our man stuff um, hmm. and I thought that was a really unique thing that it's just some food for thought for coaches. Wow! And what was uh, what was the you know just to keep teams off balance and and not yep. uh, take away their two best players? Mm-hmm, okay. Huh, that's another thing I'm writing down. That's something to ponder. Yeah. We've, we've dabbled in the triangle. Um, that's an interesting thought. Um, huh. Now you've got me thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. You, uh, you should try it, see what you think. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll uh, tweak it, or we'll give it a go here this summer when, when the games don't really count, and, 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 <laughs> right, and, and, right. We'll, and we'll see what we got. So, um, you know, one of the things we've done uh, defending the sideline out of bounds plays, we're we're our philosophies uh, sound really uh, really close to one another on both of those situations. Uh, what and I actually did this uh, kind of made it up on the fly when I was coaching AAU a couple of summers ago. We were in a late game situation. There was like two seconds left in the game, and this is the only time that we would ever do this, but it worked out really really well. And ever since I've done it, it's it's we've done it a couple of times with my high school team and it's worked well uh late game situation sideline out of bounds play um and you're up two or you're up three and uh you've kept that player off the ball the entire game and then right before the official hands them the ball you have that player charge the ball really hard and get really big and get really high and, and get their hands big uh, so that they, they thought they had a clean look, and all of a sudden somebody's jumping at them. And we have literally, it's happened twice, Coach, where we have had our opponent step in bounds and turn it over by us doing that. And it, it just kind of, it's kind of like a little pseudo-delayed blitz uh, in, in a football speak that, that kind of catches the opponent off guard. Uh, so that's something that we've done on the sideline as well, defending the sideline out of bounds play. That's something maybe you could, you know, I tell you what, you experiment with that this summer and I'll experiment with the triangle and two on the baseline out of bounds plays this summer. And let's get back to each other in August and let's see how they work out. Yeah, no, I love that idea. Anything to make the defense guess. And I can imagine, like, you see this guy running at you, so I'm going to go by him. And then you realize you're taking them all out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what's uh, offensively, what's your uh, out-of-bounds philosophy there? Let's start with your baseline out-of-bounds philosophy. Are you guys running the same thing year after year? Are you tweaking it a little bit? How many sets do you have on your baseline? Um, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, as a base, <clears throat> I want to have two man-to-man plays and two zone plays. And But the best plays, as we both know, are plays that can be run against both. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we've tried to get to. But anytime, no matter what, how many we have or whatever, I love plays that start in the same formation, but you do different things out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, we 
change it every year pretty much um, to kind of fit because we want our best players getting the shots and the spots that they like getting them. Uh, so we kind of do something different every year. Mm-hmm. Um, how long does that take you to, to implement? Well, if we want to be really good at it, it takes a while. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think uh, something that I've learned this year, um, probably more so than any other year, you've got to have a great a guy with great vision taking that ball out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you have that, and hopefully he's not one of the guys that you're trying to get the ball into too, like because, you know, he can't throw it in and, he, and catch it and score it himself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that that's a big key is to make sure you have a guy that can take the ball out and have the vision and the patience to get it where you want to get it and to the person you want to get it to. But also, this just happened last week in AAU practice. Our uh, One of our players came to us and said, Coach, if there's uh, anybody else that can take the ball out of bounds, I don't, this is not, I don't, I don't really feel good with it. Um, so I also think that's important because some guys, that's a lot of pressure to take the yep. ball out of bounds, especially in, in a close game. I think you've got to make sure that, that your guy feels comfortable in that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that took some courage by that young man to come tell you that. Yeah, it did, and I'm glad. I I, I encourage the, uh, you know, we want that. Please tell us because you know we don't want to put you in a situation where, where you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Are there are there any, um, you know, you talked about running stuff against man, running stuff against zone, and preferably stuff that you can run against both. Is there any type of concept? on your baseline or sideline out of bounds that you are really partial to? Are you a, a screen-the-screener type of person? Uh, are you looking to run a lot of rescreens for an inbounder, um, you know, it, whether that's a, a, an elevator or just, you know, in the corners or, or that type of thing? Or is it just kind of dependent on your personnel from year to year? Kind of a little of both. It depends on our personnel, but I love screen-the-screener action, and I love staggered screens. Um, and that's kind of getting a little bit into the half court, but um, screen the screener action a lot of times on the baseline out of bounds because when we do that, we also have a couple of stunts off of it. Like you screen the screener, but we can call special and we slip the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that that's probably pretty basic stuff that everybody does. Also, mm-hmm. awesome, terrific stuff, Coach Thompson. Uh, any social media, anything you want to plug for the villains? The, the 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 villains of North Carolina. Um, what uh, any yeah any social media you'd like to plug? Yeah, all of them. I got a lot. So okay, <laughs> Twitter. Uh, my personal one is at villains coach v i l l a i n s coach, and then our program uh, program Twitter is at villains m b b v i l l a i n s m b b. And then on our um, our Instagram handles are, are the same. Mm-hmm. My personal one is Villains Coach, and we're uh, Villains MBB on Instagram. So if you follow us, we'll follow you back. Check it out. Check it out, coaches. Absolutely great stuff. Uh, Josh Thompson, the head boys basketball coach at Bishop McGinnis High School in Greensboro, North Carolina. Coach, I am I am thrilled that we were able to get together and have this conversation tonight, and and then able to record it, and so other folks can hear us. This was uh, a lot of really good information shared between the two of us. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, and uh, you know, as always, we're thankful, we're humbled, and um, you know, our our goal is to have an impact on these guys' lives and have an impact for Jesus, and um, you know, just um, 
honor him and everything that we do. And I, again, I appreciate you having me, and it's been a blast. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I've had a, I've had. It's been a joy having you on here, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. So. Uh, if you hold on a second here, if you could hold the line, I got to wrap up a couple things and we'll call it a night. So, we'll do. Uh, again, Josh Thompson, uh, terrific job, a terrific coach uh, from B- Bishop McGinnis High School, Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, he might be if you if you get a hold of him this week, he might be a little bit stressed out. Apparently, there's a big basketball game in- involving some teams from North Carolina this weekend. Uh, so, you know, if he's if he's a little on edge. It's understandable, just like the entire state of North Carolina probably is on edge this week, except for the Wake Forest and North Carolina State fans, of course. But uh, and, and if you're a Wake fan, okay, so this is I'm curious here. If you're a Wake fan or an NC State fan, who are you rooting for then on Saturday night? <laughs> uh, my best friend, uh, he won't like me saying this, but I would say the uh, a lot of if you're an NC State fan. You're probably pulling for Duke because Duke and NC State usually gang up and nobody wants to see the Tar Heels win. Gotcha. And uh, Wake, there's probably a mix. Some will want Duke, some will want Carolina. Okay. All right. Well, I just want to make sure the political lines are clear uh, there in in, uh, in North Carolina. So, uh, But, hey, Coach McGinnis, it's great having you on here tonight. We, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. If you're ever in need of chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Again, follow us on Twitter at A Pen and a Napkin. Download, rate, and review this podcast. We're on iTunes. Uh, this has been the biggest month ever in the history of A Pen and a Napkin. We've had more downloads this month than we have ever had in any month previously. Uh, questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Go check out the new a pen and a napkin.com. Just downloaded uh, a few dozen more pages today. Uh, some Mike Neighbors stuff that's really, really good stuff there. And then, of course, uh, please support the pot and everything that we do on the Patreon page. We've got three different tiers for $3 a month, just a generous donation of $3 a month, 75 cents a week uh, to help a pen and a napkin kind of afford to do some projects that I would like to do above the usual a pen and a napkin napkin universe especially here in the off season so for for josh thompson the head boys basketball coach at bishop mcginnis high school uh my name is marty plum coaches as always let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time